0: How many of y'all have ever been to a, a live production of a play high school campus or anything like that? It, if you've been to one, it's really a pretty pretty uh, neat experience to see a, a live performance in person. And, and in many ways, I want you to kind of look at that through that lens as we think about the the book of Acts. I want you to think of it like a play that there's a production being put on and it's being portrayed before you. And let's just say you were at the Play and you've just witnessed the scene of Saul's conversion. Now, if you had seen that for the first time, it would have had many twists and turns that you did not see coming. Here you have this man who was hell-bent on destroying the church. He, he literally opposed everything about Jesus and anyone who chose to follow him. But yet, when he witnessed the glory of the risen Christ... He realized instantly in that moment, upon looking at the face of Jesus Christ, that he was wrong. That Jesus is alive and well and everything about him is true. He saw the light. His eyes were opened. He put his faith in the one he had so adamantly opposed. In the days that followed, as we looked at our passage last week, we know that he became a bold witness for the cause of Christ but it was not without cost because those who had given him permission to go and persecute the church now turned their focus on him. And they were not only simply wanting to to silence his message, they wanted to end his life. They were out to kill Saul. And as that scene would have closed, we would have seen Saul being put on a ship at Caesarea only to leave across the Mediterranean Sea to go back to his hometown of Tarsus. the curtains would have closed. And when the curtains open up the next time, the scene is completely shifted. Now we see a different person, a a person named Peter, the Apostle Peter, who now takes center stage. And unlike Saul, who kind of came on all of a sudden and then disappeared as quickly as he had came, we know a whole lot more about the Apostle Peter. He's a well-known character in the story of Jesus. Peter was a leader among the disciples. In fact, every time you look at when the disciples are mentioned, he's always listed first. He appears more often. He speaks more frequently than any of the other disciples. But it's often the case, the more someone has something to say, the better the chance is they're going to say the wrong thing. Which is definitely true of Peter, right? In fact, John MacArthur calls Peter the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. (laughs) Which is very true. He speaks more frequently than any of the other disciples, but he's also rebuked more frequently than any of the other disciples. He was bold, but compulsive. Quick to commit, but also prone to betray. And yet, through it all, God continually, or the work of Christ in in his life and ministry, continually invested in the life of Peter. As early as their first conversation, Jesus made his intentions known. I just kind of pictured this in my head as Simon comes up and introduces himself, and and Jesus says, Hello, Simon, it's nice to meet you. I'm going to call you Peter. In that very first conversation, he gives him A new name. And if you look at Scripture carefully, every time he's being rebuked, Jesus calls him Simon. Every time he's being affirmed, he calls him Peter. Jesus changed his name to help describe the person he wanted him to become. The person he created him to be. He he wanted him to live up to his divine potential. Reminds me of a story of uh, Tommy Lasorda when he was the coach of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He tells a story of this young new player who joins the team who was incredibly talented but very timid by nature. He, He was a pitcher and he had an incredibly powerful arm. He had amazing accuracy and Tommy Lasorda said from the moment I saw what he could do, I thought this guy has the potential to be somebody great someday, perhaps one of the best of all time. And yet he was very timid by nature. Tommy Lasorda knew that he needed to be more fierce. He needed to be more competitive. So he actually gave him a nickname that was the exact opposite of his personality. He called him the Bulldog. And that's who Earl Hershiser, the Bulldog, would come to be. He became one of the most tenacious competitors, truly one of the best of all time to ever step on the mound. And I believe in many ways, that's what you see Jesus doing in the life of Peter. He took a man who was compulsive and fickle, and he gave him a name that means the rock. Someone who is stable and secure. And that's who Peter would become as he faithfully followed Christ, becoming a a faithful disciple and someone who had a great compassion for people. And that's who now enters center stage as the story of Acts continues. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open up your word this morning, would you open up our eyes? Would you help us see truths that apply directly to our lives, to our marriages, to our families, to our jobs? To to what life looks like when we leave this place, Lord, make that very clear to us. As we continue to see your work among uh, the early church, I pray that it, it becomes personal. That we see that you, in fact, are alive and well doing work among your church today. You're still active in the world in which we live. And may we take note of these truths and see them applied in how we live right now. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, if you would turn to Acts chapter 9, uh, let's begin in verse 31. Looking at that last verse that we left off with last week. In verse 31, it says So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Now, it came about as Peter was traveling through all those parts, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And immediately he arose. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, And they turned to the Lord. Now, as you look at this account, I want you to notice the very specific details in which it is told. There's nothing arbitrary or happenstance about what's taking place. Compulsive Peter has become a faithful disciple going where the Lord is leading. He's traveling all throughout the area where the church is has now begun to take root in Judea and Samaria and Galilee. And one of those places in the area of Judea is a town known as Lydda. It's also called Lod in the Bible, L-O-D. Lydda is a town as you travel west from Jerusalem towards the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's about halfway down that road. And in this certain town, we learn about a a certain man named Aeneas. Now, all we know about him from this account is that he has been bedridden for the past eight years. So, very likely, he experienced some kind of traumatic event in his life that has left him now paralyzed. In the original language, the word for bedridden literally means confined to a mattress. Which tells us that Aeneas was completely dependent on upon other people for his care. He was likely a quadriplegic. He could not move unless somebody moved him. He could not get dressed unless somebody dressed him. When he went to the bathroom, somebody had to clean him. When he wanted to eat, somebody had to feed him. He was completely dependent on other people for his daily care. So Peter visits a certain man and enters into the house of a a certain individual named Aeneas, and he simply says to him, Aeneas, Jesus heals you. Get up and make your bed. Now, as you hear that story, I want you to just kind of pause for a moment. And we're going to rewind the tape and we're going to go back in time. Turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to go back to a, a scene in the The life and ministry of Jesus. And I want us to look at this as it relates to what we just read in Acts with Peter. So, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Listen carefully as I read in verse 17. And it came about one day that he was teaching. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And behold, some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him, speaking of Jesus and not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down through the tile so that he was put on a stretcher right in the center in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive except God alone? (laughs) Little did they know they were right. Verse 22, But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your stretcher, and go home. And at once he rose before them and took up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And all that they were there they they were, they were seized with astonishment and began glorify God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. The reason I want you to be mindful of that account is because Peter is not doing anything that Jesus has not already done. In fact, Peter is doing exactly what Jesus has done. Peter didn't stand over the man and say, Aeneas, I heal you. What does he say? Aeneas, Jesus. Christ heals you. And immediately he rose and made his bed. And I do believe he made his bed. If you've ever had an injury or surgery where you've been uh, immobilized for any length of time, let's say your arm's been in a stretcher. You remember this, Stacy? Your arm's been in a stretcher. Let's say you can't move it. Man, there is nothing greater once that sling is removed than just buttoning your shirt by yourself, right? Or if your foot has been in a cast, there's nothing that feels better than washing your feet. Right? And I think that's exactly true for Aeneas. He's been confined to a mattress for eight years. What a joy it is to make his bed and then walk away. It says that when the people saw Aeneas and they witnessed the miracle of his healing, That they turned to the Lord. And I believe this is describing those who turned to the Lord in faith. And I believe that they turned to the Lord in faith because of the testimony of Aeneas, Because they inevitably were going to ask him, what in the world happened to you? And there's only one answer he could give. Jesus Christ healed me. There's a message in the miracle. The healing points to a healer. It is the demonstration that the the power of the risen Christ is a living well and at work in the world today, as it always has been. Because just as what Jesus did when he healed the paralytic, now through his disciple Peter, he is doing the exact same thing. That's why Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus heals you. Look at how the story continues in verse 36 of our passage. Now in Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it came about at the time that she fell sick and died. When they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. And since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was in that area, sent two men to him, entreating him, Do not delay, come to us. Peter rose and went with them and when he had come they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood behind, beside him weeping and showing all the, the tunics and garments that she had made for them while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body he said Tabitha arise. She opened her eyes and when she had saw Peter she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Once again, a very specific, detailed account here in another city. This is not arbitrary. It's it's not random. It's not chance. It is very deliberate work of God. He meets a certain disciple named Tabitha. Notice the, the, the consistent terms. A certain man named Aeneas, a certain disciple named Tabitha. Luke even gives her Greek name, a name that means gazelle. And if you know anything about a gazelle, it's a very beautiful and graceful animal. So that name was intended to describe her character. Tabitha was a very beautiful and graceful woman she was a Christian woman known for her generous heart. It says that she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she did continually. The word for charity is a word that talks about giving alms. So very possible, Tabitha was a wealthy woman who consistently gave to those who had financial need. But she just didn't throw money at people's problems. She got personally involved. The reason we know that is because in verse 39, all these widows who had joined to mourn her death are wearing clothes that Tabitha made for them. She could have bought clothes, but she cared enough to make them. And they were mourning her death. Now, apparently her death was unexpected because it simply says that she fell sick and died. So it happened so quick that they couldn't let Peter know other than the fact that she had passed. And they asked that he come as quickly as he could. As was customary, the the body of Tabitha was washed. It was prepared for burial. It was placed in a room where people would come for visitation. So Peter arrives. When he does, he sees the people who have filled this room mourning the death of this beloved sister in Christ. And he asked them to, to leave the room. And I think one of the main reasons is he wasn't there for a show. He was there for a sacred moment, a divine appointment, a certain place at a certain time with a certain person. And so he asked them to leave the room, and he kneels down to pray. And after praying, Peter spoke to the dead body and said, Tabitha, arise. He says that once she opened her eyes saw Peter. Peter took her hand, allowed her to stand, and then presented this beloved saint alive to all the people who had come to mourn her death. What an incredible moment this must have been. Now again, push the pause button. Let's go back in time to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Let's begin reading in verse 49. Another account in the life and ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 8, verse 49, it says while he was still speaking, speaking of Jesus, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. And when he had come to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she's not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had most certainly died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she rose immediately. And he gave her orders for something to be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. I'm sure they were. But he instructed them to tell no one of what had happened. Now, again, here's another fascinating account. And I want you to keep in mind that Luke is the author of both accounts Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and Luke is the author of the book of Acts. So these two accounts are. Very similar in their description. In both cases, someone who was deeply loved has died. Peter, when he enters the room, filled with people mourning the death of Tabitha, asks everyone to leave. Jesus does something similar. Instead of allowing everyone to come in, he asks them to stay out, allowing only three of his disciples along with the mom and dad of this girl who had died. Jesus speaks to the dead body and says, Child, arise. You'll remember Peter looks at Tabitha and says, Tabitha, arise. But in the original language, these accounts are even more closely than we would expect. Because in the original language, the word for child is Talitha. Jesus says, Talitha, arise. Peter says, Tabitha. There's only one letter difference in these two words. They are very closely connected to each other. And I think they're intending to make the point that there is the same healer in both accounts. Jesus has made Tabitha alive, just as he did with that little girl. There is a message in the miracle. The healing points to a healer. The power of Christ is alive and well and at work in the world in which those disciples lived. The result of the second miracle, as we see from the scripture, is the same as the first. It says when people heard and saw the evidence of this miracle that many believed, many came to put their faith in Christ. Now, let's go back to our passage and look at verse 43. It says, and it came about that he stayed many days in Joppa within, look, a certain tanner named Simon. A certain man named Anais. A certain disciple named Tabitha. A certain tanner named Simon. This is not a coincidence. This is divine providence at work in the world. We learn more in chapter 10 about Simon who lives by the sea. He lives by the sea because his job is detestable in the sight of the Jews. In fact, Jewish law requires him to live outside of the city because as a tanner he completely uh, he, he he works with the carcasses and skins of dead animals. So he's perpetually unclean, which is hugely significant in the story of Peter as it continues. So keep that in mind. But as for now, I want you to notice the very deliberate attention to the detail in our passage this morning. These are not random events with random people in random places. These are very specific miracles with specific people, with a specific purpose in mind. It is not a coincidence. Listen to me. It is not a coincidence that they are so closely tied to the life and ministry of It is no small thing for Peter to say, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. There is a message in the miracle. The healings are intended to point to a healer. The risen Christ is alive and well and at work in the world he created. His work is intended to bring us to a place where we put our faith and trust in him. Like those in our passage, he wants us to, to put our trust, to turn to the Lord, to put our trust in him, to, to believe in him and his power at work in the world. See, was Anais the only one who was disabled in that city in the surrounding area? Was Tabitha the only Christian woman who happened to have died at that time? If you stop and think about it, there were far more people who were not healed than were healed by the evidence of our passage this morning. But that's only if you look at it from the perspective of physical healing. Maybe the message in the miracle goes beyond physical healing. A message of healing that uh, applies to you and me just as it much to Aeneas and Tabitha. I believe the people in our passage who were truly healed were those who turned to the Lord. Those who put their trust in him. Those who experienced the miracle of redemption through the forgiveness of sins because of the work of Jesus Christ. That was the most amazing miracle of all. If you think about it, that paralyzed man, Aeneas, after he was healed, would get up and he would carry on. He would make his bed, as it talks about in our passage. He would be able to dress himself from there. He would be able to feed himself from there. But let me ask you this. Is that the reason Jesus healed him? So that he could feed himself again? So that he could dress himself again? Was that what it was all about? Or was there something much more significant? See, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, isn't life more than food that you eat, clothes that you wear? He says, instead of worrying about those things, then seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all those other things will be added to you. In other words, the greatest healing should not cause us to go on living life as normal as if the most important thing in life is caring for our personal needs. If you were given a second chance, would you just carry on and live where you left off last? Or would life look really different? I just want you to think about Tabitha. She was dead. She was dead. And then she was alive. Does she just pick up where she left off last, or does her life have a whole new meaning and purpose, doing the things that she'd done before with even greater passion and mission to proclaim the message of Christ? Wouldn't that be true? Doesn't that make sense? Here's something I want you to think about, because it needs to become real personal right here. In Ephesians chapter 2, it is very clear. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. But only through faith in Christ have you been made alive together with him. You were dead. You have been made alive. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things have gone and new things have come. So let me ask you, now that you've been dead and made alive, do you just carry on where you left off last? Where life centers around fulfilling your personal needs. Worrying about what to wear. Where to live. When to retire. See, the story of Acts should remind us. that The power of the risen Christ is alive and well. And still at work in our world today. The greatest miracle in our passage was not the paralyzed man or even the woman who was raised to life. The greatest miracle in our passage is the miracle of redemption, the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ alone. That's what this passage is intending to point our focus to. Because here's the reality. You and I both know that there are people in this world who live with disabilities, who live with terminal illness, who live... With things that they may not ever recover from. But I'm here to tell you right now. And there are some of those people in this room this morning. And those people have more hope in life. Than anyone who's completely healthy. Because of their faith in Christ. They've experienced the miracle of redemption. And one day. They will be completely healed. And until that day. They are completely fulfilled. Because of who they are in Christ. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of God's redemption. If if you're a Christian, then you were dead. And you have been made alive. And I pray that you would never pick up with life where you left off last as if something significant didn't just happen to you. That in fact you would live with great purpose. With great mission. With, with, would, would Tabitha and Aeneas uh, walk out of the house carry on with life as normal? And people ask, hey, what happened? Oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Just carry on. Man, they had a story to tell. And so do you. And the only reason that you and I are here is because Christ intends for us To be used by Him in the same way that He worked through Peter to accomplish everything He created us to be. You are a certain man. You are a certain woman who came to a certain place at a certain time and you have been invited to put your faith and trust in Him. To turn to the Lord. To believe in the Lord. And that miracle of redemption should reshape how you live your life. So I I don't know how you come this morning, but let me encourage you to come now very humbly before the Lord and put your trust in him. To look at the healing that is found in his salvation, made possible through his sacrifice so that you can be set free. We just sang a song, my chains are gone. I've been set free. So let's realize that truth this morning. As we close this morning in our final song, let me pray for us before we do that. Lord, as we come before you this morning, I pray that wherever people are this morning, that they will find the soul satisfying truth that they are made complete and whole because of you, that your salvation brings healing to our lives. And since that's true, Lord, since we have been dead and and made alive through faith in Christ, may we be committed to no longer living as if That didn't happen. Give us great purpose. Give us great mission. Help us live with a a sense of hope and a message of healing to a, a very broken and hurting world. Lord, help us know that maybe the people who are truly handicapped in this world are the ones who don't see their need for Jesus. And maybe those of us who have been healed, no matter what our situation, can rejoice that we've been set free and that we have a promise through faith and trust in you. May we rejoice in that. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this morning we've spent a lot of time focusing on the person who worked with Christ. We came to the table. Remember what he's done why it matters. And I hope that if you don't know Christ that you will see very clearly you have been invited to know him to be healed through his sacrifice on the cross by the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do know Christ, I pray that you've been reminded that you were dead. and You've been made alive. And you have a hope that is real and true. And I pray that it compels you to live a life passionately and faithfully serving him so that you tell a story of healing to a broken and hurting world. May we do that faithfully as his disciples. In our love for one another and in our love for him. Amen. Have a great day.